you know, I, I think it's important to, to finish a book to the point where at least you're satisfied. I don't know anybody who can write perfectly yeah. and release a perfect book. Yeah. But if you can get to the point where you feel that you've done the best that you could with the time and energy and skill you had, then you've done something. sophisticated creatives welcome to jcv art studio from the dressing room aussie's with me um this is it came to me today as we were traveling as we've been traveling up and down the island this is the last mobile dressing room and then we will be settled <laughs> so uh aussie's become a prolific traveler anyways Onto the podcast. Today, I have Deborah Purdy Kong with me. Speaking of prolific, Deborah is a prolific writer. I roughly counted 10 novels on Amazon. She has more than one series, and we'll talk about those series and writing and the life experiences she has drawn upon to write those novels. Deborah writes stories with flair, stories that dare. And I wanted to interview Deborah and listen and learn from her wisdom and experience. Deborah, welcome. Thank you, Joanna. It's really a pleasure to be here and talk with you. Oh, good, good. So, before we get into your book and talk about your heroine, Casey Holland, in the years that you've been writing, what have you noticed that's changed with your writing? And then my, I'll get on to my second question with, with respect to that first one. With my writing, I find that with the more novels that I've read, and the more novels that I write, the closer I, attention I pay to language. Okay. And I used to just be worried about getting the words on a page and completing a story, getting that first draft done. But now it's sort of slowing down and I'm really, really pickier about my editing, about the words that I choose. 
and it's it's just an evolving thing. I am still learning. I feel um, there is still so much more to learn. And the more I know about editing and the things to look for, the things to incorporate in my work, uh, the more, as I said, the more attention I'm paying just to every word on the page, to the language. Okay, that's good. Yeah, because mm. I, that's, that's good. Yeah, okay. So with paying attention to the language has that impacted well it must have it must directly impacts how you're now writing about Casey Holland it does it certainly shapes how um, the themes that I want to cover how uh, succinctly I want to get to what it is I'm really saying in a story what is really going on beneath you know the the all the nuances the theme so I'm much more uh, meticulous about that and, and give a lot more thought to that before I even start writing. Um, but over time with my writing and Casey, you know, I've been working with the, the Casey Holland character, gosh, uh, probably 20 years or more. Mm-hmm. And so when I started writing about Casey, I wasn't that much older, just you know, a few years older than what she is, which is 30 years old when um, the first book starts. And now I'm you know, in my 60s and I find myself moving away. I don't have as much in common with that character. I look at the world from uh, the perspective now uh, as a grandmother, um, as someone who's now retired, and Casey's, you know, aging much more slowly in the novels. So in a way, we're psychologically growing apart. And I'm not too sure how that will affect the novels in the future or how much longer I will continue with that series. So. We're going to talk about that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Okay. So the deep end. It's not, I, I had mis- mistaken. I thought it was your latest. It's not your latest book. So Knock Knock is number five. It is. Right. The Blade Man is number six. Yes. And you said that was published in February, 2020. It was, yeah. Oh, okay. Just before I had a, a small launch at Western Sky Books uh, in February, and then the pandemic hit in March. God. And- yeah. Oh. <laughs> oh. And it changed marketing yeah. big time, as I'm sure you know, and so many other writers have experienced. But, uh, okay. but uh, yeah, and uh, the deep end, um, I'm really glad that you're talking about the deep end. Um, sometimes middle books don't get as much attention as an author wants. Like with the six okay. book series, there's always people, mystery readers in particular, love to start at the beginning, yeah. which makes total sense and then they love to get you know people are curious about the the last one you were promoting it and sometimes the little ones get lost and and I love uh, that we're talking about the deep end today because this is the book that most draws on my personal experiences okay. uh, when I was volunteering in a youth detention center many years ago so yeah. I'm happy to talk about it so oh, good oh good yeah. okay because I'm one of those readers where I find an author I like, 
And I will do that. I'll start from the beginning. And then it's almost like you just binge, you read. It's like, okay, what's in two? What's three? What's the next one? You know? Mm -hmm. So, Mm -hmm. okay. Okay. Well, I'm going to have to start yours in proper order. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So speaking of the deep end, your opening scene, I was literally jetted back to my days working at the Crown Council office, okay? Um, How I used to, so it was the prosecutor's office. I was in charge at that point of adults who would be in charge. I would type up the charges. I would get their files prepared for court. Next to me was, at that time, she was the youth um, we used to be called secretaries. Okay. Now it's assistants. She was the youth assistant. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I remember talking with her. And so that opening scene with Casey, as she's being shown the ropes mm-hmm. of the detention center, did that happen to you? I was showing the ropes my first uh, week of volunteering. I went uh, to Willingdon Youth Detention Center. It no longer exists now. It's uh, something else. But uh, I went there once a week for a year. And so for the first week, I was showing the ropes. I was showing where everything was. I was showing where the girls' unit was. And they had two boys' units at that time. They had a, um, a segregation uh, area um, and all of this kind of stuff. Now, nothing dramatic happened um, in the opening of the deep end. Of course, the uh, the director um, has a heart attack and dies. That did not happen to me. <laughs> my my experiences were a little less dramatic. Although during that year, we certainly had our moments. We had uh, lockdown situations. We had escapes. We had uh, chilled a. Uh, 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 one girl who was um, very much into self-mutilation and was uh, damaging herself. We had kids in uh, segregation for acting out for different things. So um, there was lots of different issues that were going on during that year. Um, so I did experience some drama. And uh, my role as a volunteer was just basically working in the girls unit because it was a better fit for me and just just working or just listening to yeah. the girls one-on-one if anybody felt like talking yeah I was there wow wow and I would help out the unit uh, supervisor if um, w- there were situations where um, a pack of cigarettes or something would go missing and so we would have to do a lockdown situation within the unit and literally search every room for the cigarettes and lighter and yeah. this kind of thing. So uh, I would be doing that once in a while. Um, but basically, I was just there and to be a sounding board for anybody who needed it. Okay. Yeah. So, you know, I remember at Crown, it was if, uh, I'm not saying reform. But it's almost like if the youth, I don't want to say reformed, but if the youth could get the right help, Mm. then you you usually you would not see that youth in the adult system. And I I remember looking like you'd I'd have, you know, as a file would be open, there would be a criminal record 
and you'd look at the criminal record and um, so not the criminal. Okay. So you'd get the criminal record from the RCMP, Mm -hmm. but you would also, we would keep track of the files we had open. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I remember sometimes the youth assistant would then say to me, Joanna, here's the youth's record, you know, like her record Mm -hmm. of files. Mm -hmm. And it was really sad to see that Mm -hmm. the youth Mm -hmm. then grew up and became adult offenders. Right. So, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. oh, you said Mm -hmm. Wellington. Mm-hmm. Yeah, brings but, back memories. Oh, yeah. oh God. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah, I remember there was uh, there, there there was a one situation where there was a whole almost a whole family in there. There was uh, the fourteen year old girl. Her older brother was in there. She had another brother that was in Ocala um, Men's Prison, which again no longer exists. Um, the whole family was into. Um, all kinds of crimes and she was in there she was 14 years old and she was in there for attempted murder so yeah yeah okay oh wow wow okay okay so back to your book okay (laughs) so so that's the setting that's the background for this book is yeah all of these experiences and I kept um, a journal back then because I was taking criminology and I was actually making notes because at the end of this the semester I was going to be writing a paper yeah on um on my experiences. And uh, so I kept those journals. And so I went back, uh, this is, you know, two or three decades, three, three or more decades later, opened up those journals and remembered all kinds of things. That, uh, yeah. It comes right. <laughs> I bet it all comes right back. Yeah, it does. It does. Okay. So I heard you read an excerpt from now, I, I please correct me. I don't know if it was particularly this book. It was in the the Western Wing segment mm-hmm. of the Crime Writers of Canada, mm-hmm. and I w- want to make sure the listeners understand. So this was a segment which was done through the internet. Uh, so, and I was telling this to my husband last night. I said, "So you you have a screen. You're not even in the same room. So it's almost like you have that screen, which is a bit of a a, a divide, okay? And you read your book, this scene on the bus, and I was listening, and I thought, "Whoa!" And I just, I did. I thought, "Please keep reading." <laughs> right? Like, you you've got me. Please keep reading. Um, so, and it's I I remember. We had talked about this before we started recording. Um, I used to ride the bus for about 10 years going to work. Um, so tell me about that scene. Did that happen to you on the bus? Or do you, do you want to tell the readers about the scene that we're talking about? Sure. So that scene that I read is an excerpt from the first chapter of the first book, which is the opposite of dark. Okay. And the opening scene portrayed shows Casey at work on the job, and she's dealing with someone who has been groping female passengers. Now, I never had anybody grope me, but I'll tell you the most potentially precarious situation I found myself in. In a quick story here, uh, I was riding the bus from New Westminster, where I lived at that time, down to near. Broadway and Oak and I had to transfer buses and it was a a fairly long trip one Friday night after work I had um, 
been out for dinner and some drinks with work colleagues. So I was taking the bus back fairly late and I was picking up the bus at the busy intersection of Broadway and Kingsway. And it was a warm July night and it was it, it was dark. So it must have been, you know, closer to 9 30, 10 o'clock. And this young guy, there's only two or three other people at the stop. And this young guy comes up and he stands beside me and he says, nice night. And I said, yeah, it is. And he says, you know, I've been at the beach all day and I've seen all of these, you know, beautiful women. I'm thinking, okay, here we go. Yeah. And um, at this point in my life, I had taken my criminology, uh, gotten my diploma, dealt with a lot of different situations, uh, volunteering. So stay cool, stay calm. And he said to me, you know, I just got out of BC Penn. Oh, now, BC Penitentiary, for those who don't know, again, this penitentiary no longer exists, was a maximum security facility for people who were serving more than two years, which means that their crimes were pretty serious. And uh, so I didn't, of course, let on that I knew exactly what the BC Pen meant. (laughs) And I knew better than to ask him why he had been in there. Yeah. And uh, so I just, you know, said, it must feel pretty good to be on the outside. And he says, yeah, it's really awesome. And I get on the bus and there's not many people on the bus at this time of night. I choose a seat, maybe three or four back from the driver and he slides in beside me. Oh, and I'm thinking, okay. Yep, stay calm. And um, and he said, "Are you, you live in? Are you heading to New West? Because we know this bus goes there." And I said, "Yeah." And he says, "Yeah, I'm in a halfway house on Sixth Avenue in New Westminster, which is exactly one block south of where I'm. Oh, <laughs> my apartment God. is. I'm on Seventh Avenue." Oh. So I'm thinking, okay. And you know, I just listened to him again using the skills as a listener. Yeah. And he was talking just about life okay and freedom and what his plans were and he was perfectly um his manners were perfect perfect gentleman okay and I got close to my stop and we had the same stop to get off at because I his halfway house is as I said very close to where I'm living and I think if he follows me how am I going to handle this yeah And so I'm thinking, thinking, thinking of what I can do. You know, keep in mind, back in this day, we didn't have cell phones. Yeah. You know, this is this is the early 80s. Yeah. So um, I got a plan in place and um, I go my way and he goes his way and he didn't follow me. And I never actually, I never, ever saw him again. But you know what? He was a nice guy and he okay. was respectful and I just sort of stayed calm and I didn't freak out. There was no reason to. And, yeah. but, you know, when you think of what if as yeah. a mystery yeah. writer, then yeah. it starts to go. Yeah. And uh, I often wondered if I'd ever see that guy again, because we were on the same route, but um, I never did. And then about, well, I guess it was a couple of years later, I heard there'd been a, a, a murder, murder, suicide at that halfway house or something to that effect. And somebody had been killed there. And I thought, I hope it wasn't him. 
I just yeah. hope it wasn't him. Because he seemed really positive. He seemed optimistic. He seemed determined to make it work. Yeah. You know? So that was my my closest uh, my closest experience to um, drama. Let's put it that way. <laughs> yeah. Oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> and like you said. Yeah, and on that bus, I'm thinking the irony of having just finished a diploma in criminology and yeah. also had volunteered at Ocala, uh, which was a medium security institution, um, never wanted to step foot in the BC penitentiary to yeah. save my soul. But uh, but I knew I knew more than most people about what it took to get there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. See, because I remember, so I was doing adult provincial court and like you said, it's that the, with two years less a day. So if you were sentenced mm-hmm. to two years less a day, you were you weren't going to you weren't doing federal time. That's that's what, right, right. That's right. And when that was provincial court, and then they said, Joanna, we need a Supreme Court secretary, and and that's all indictable, and that's where you could be sentenced to more than two years. Mm-hmm. And like you said, that's the serious, that's the really serious stuff, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. God. God. So it, it did filter, go through my mind. Okay. So what could he have done? And there was, yeah. there was a laundry list of pretty, pretty wow. awful things that involved weapons and assaults yeah. and things like that. But anyway, yeah. it all worked out at the end. And uh, there you go. And, but again, all this stuff is fodder for stories, right? Yeah. 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 I remember I had one fellow come to the front desk and he was upset with the charge. And every time he swore, he said, pardon me. So he had the, like you said, the respect of, you know, he's upset what he's been charged with, but, and, but he would still, you know, he drop a word and go, I beg your pardon, but, and then he'd go in again, say something. (laughs) I beg your pardon. I'm like, and it's important to me want to say, it's okay. You won't believe what I have heard. Okay. (laughs) So, okay. So you have real characters. And a lot of my questions are focused on your characters. And with your novels, you have one series. So what I'm trying to say is, do you have one series or one hero or heroine that you favor more over the other? Or would you say the characters you showcase are characters that fitted your life at that time? I would say that they are characters that fitted my life at that time. Uh, my very first series, which I self-published back in the early, in the mid nineties and in, um, well, I guess it was 2008. Um, were uh, based, again, I was writing, you know, about 20-somethings. Uh, Alex Bellamy was um, um, a character I created out of my conversations with the accountants that I was working for. I was doing secretarial work at that time, working for a firm of accountants. And um, my husband, who... Um, I met there uh, where we worked was in the articling student and we used to go for lunch with other accountants on Friday afternoons. And I would tell them about my writing and I was working on short stories at that time. And the guys would say, well, how come nobody writes about accountants? You know? oh. <laughs> and I said, how come, you know, huh? 
and then just sort of the ideas. And at that time, also out of my um, work in criminology, I developed a real fascination for white collar crime and oh. uh, um, fraud. And this is back in the 90s before it was, became as prevalent as it is today. And so out of that, with accountants, white collar crime kind of segues naturally into that. So I created this story. Uh, so at that time of my life, um, and working working with accountants, uh, it just kind of all fit. And mm-hmm. of course, I, I left accounting and uh, the get left that job and um, um, moved on to other things. And as time passed, and I went back to part time work, I wound up working in security. Yeah. And I worked uh, for a private company, but I worked on a uh, campus here in um, the lower mainland and I met all kinds of interesting people um, co-workers plus uh, students and all kinds of situations there and there were some funny situations too it was it was you know we would get into some funny moments and we would get into some poignant, poignant moments and we would have some scary moments but um, out of that came the character of of Evan Dunstan. And that was just a couple of novellas that I wrote. And I love that character because again, I like writing about ordinary people yeah. um, who find themselves into really bizarre or extraordinary situations and to see how they handle it. And when they're just average guys or average girls, um, it's really fun to see how they sort of try and help and tend to make things worse and make mistakes. Um, and I also, with the Evan Dunstan novellas, try and bring out the humorous side of it, that it's, yeah. you know, life is not all doom and gloom, that, you know, you can be a, a good guy trying to do the right thing and, and screw up horribly. Oh. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, it all works out in the end because they're mysteries. But uh, yeah, so that was fun. And I would like to get back to writing about... Um, Evan and his escapades as a security guard on a campus, but um, other projects are are taking priority right now. So, yeah, Yeah. and um, newer work I'm tending to focus on uh, on older generation, which again makes sense, right? Now that I'm older, and I still love writing about um, the 20s to 30s year old group, but I love to see now how they interact with their parents and grandparents. Okay. And I'm writing more about involving more generations, three or four generations yeah. of people. You know. cool. cool. Okay. Now I'm going to give you the heads up where I'm recording from. We are in a near bare, no furniture home and you can hear my dog I if I have to pause the recording it's because he's looking for my husband who just <laughs> okay no so, problem I've yeah. listened to your recordings number of times so I know Aussie <laughs> <laughs> I know he likes to be part of the scene sometimes oh, so no oh yeah yeah he we all know he's the star <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> so we okay we've been hinting at this about care, you know, characters and characters growing older. Now I'm, I'm finding this really interesting because I'm now I'm at that beginning stage again. So I'm last night, I was reading the physical proof of dealer's child and I'm, I put um, 
hints in it at the very end, which is going to lead to book three, which I haven't. Oh dear, something's going on. Just one moment, Deborah. Okay. No, well, I pause this. Yeah. So there are hints at the end of Dealer's Child. And I'm just, I'm, I'm getting like thoughts together. It's that, you know, when you're just, you're getting the story idea together, right? That, that mm-hmm. fresh, almost like fresh page, fresh ideas. And I did, I thought to myself, and it has to do with taking yoga. Okay. So let's see if I can get my thoughts straight here with book three. I'm thinking Jade needs to get older and I'm, I'm trying to figure out how much older, but I can't have it be too much older because Mm -hmm. of the connection to book two, but I'm aware of this. And it's because I was doing yoga one day Mm -hmm. and the yoga instructor literally said, okay, this next move, we're going to get it. We're going to do it. And it's going to get a little spicy. And I just thought to myself, I don't talk like that. (laughs) Okay. Okay. Do all 30 year olds talk like that? Like, like, because our language has changed because technology Mm -hmm. has changed. Mm -hmm. So um, I keep wondering if Jade's dialogue is of a woman who's older than early mid thirties. And it sounds like this is a thought that you've been thinking about too. I have. Now, the thing about dialogue and voice, for me, it isn't really, okay, let's put it this way. Age is only one component of the dialogue that I give my character. Their dialogue comes from the way that they were raised. It comes from their educational background. It comes from the environment that they work in. So for example, Casey works with bus drivers. Um, Her love interests, both of them, are were bus drivers this is what she knows there's a certain dialect and informality of language and some swearing that they would use now if casey had been raised um yeah even as a 30 year old by academics who were phds and they were teaching at university level her use of language might be different if her job was different if she was working you know in a different environment the use of language would be different as we age and i've been thinking about this a lot does our language change that much we we latch onto favorite words um i still use the word awesome you know when i and in a positive way um that I've probably been using for a long time. Yeah. Um, this is what I'm used to. I will probably still use that word when I'm in my 80s. Yeah. Just because I age, do I need to change my language? No. Yeah. Do my characters need to change as they age? Not necessarily. It's okay. the circumstances. It's the people they meet. It's the experiences um, that impact them that makes for the change. Now they can try and adopt 
you know, um, the language of, of tech, of social media into, and, you know, it, it'll be an interesting experiment, but in their everyday language, when they're talking to their family and their friends, they're going to revert back to the words that they know and use. This is just my opinion, but this is, this is what makes sense to me. So, um, as your character ages, I wouldn't necessarily focus so much on changing her language, but allowing her to adapt as she hears, as she tries to adjust or adjust to, you know, the tech world, the social media world, the quick sound bites, the way that they, you know, she's hearing things through a television and radio. Um, So, and and letting it evolve that way. But I think that uh, whatever language you set up for her, yeah. In part, it's going to stick with her through the novels because this is a part of who she is. It's her character. It's what she's all her background and experiences have created this use of language for her. That's my Excellent. just my thoughts. Excellent. Let's see. That's one of my words. Excellent. Okay. Good. <laughs> and good. it probably will be for another 20, 30, yeah. 40 years. There you go, which is fine. Well, my oldest daughter told me, she said, Mom, I'm finding I'm using the word excellent a lot. And I'm like, oh, wow. <laughs> you know? well, that's, that's good, Deborah. That's why I was so looking forward to this. Cause I, I wanted to know, what did you think about this? Okay. Mm-hmm. Good. Good. Well, okay. Yeah. And uh, readers will always come to read your book and everybody else's book, bringing their own life experiences, yeah. their own thoughts, their own biases their own preferences you know understand that you won't please everybody but if you're writing your characters and you're making them as authentic as they can be to to the story that you want to convey then I think you're on the right track okay good and maybe somebody will say well people don't talk that way but maybe someone else will say that's exactly how my mom talks Exactly how my sister uses it. And they will all come from different areas of the world and they will all come with different experiences. Yeah. Well, I work with a fellow who is from the UK Mm. and very nice fellow. And uh, he has a PhD. He was going for his PhD. His dialogue is definitely different. From and I'm not meaning this in, in any sort of um, negative way. I'm just like exactly what you're saying. His experience, his upbringing, is totally different from my experiences, my upbringing. I mean, mm-hmm. yeah. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. All right. So, speaking of your dialogue, can I read? there's these couple of sentences in this paragraph that I just loved with your character, Phyllis. And sure. if, okay. Or would you like to read it? No, you go ahead. I okay. Like think so. Okay. So Phyllis is, um, I, I don't want to say cause like janitor cleaning. She does the cleaning of mm-hmm. the detention center. Mm-hmm. Right. That's right. And I love this. I love this. Okay. So. This, this is Phyllis. She goes, a storm's brewing. Phyllis gazed at the starless sky inside and out. 
Casey hugged herself and glanced at the officers. What do you mean by inside? Nothing goes together. People aren't where they should be, doing what they shouldn't. It's all pineapple upside down. She crushed the cigarette with her boot and headed for the entrance. That, I love that. I love that. It's all pineapple upside down. You know, it, when I read that, I stopped and I thought, I love that. Granted, Thank that's kind of how I feel like the world is right now, is pineapple upside <laughs> down. Okay. So just, this, is that? Yeah. Phyllis's dialogue um, is a reflection of the way that she thinks. Her thoughts uh, appear to be scattered when she's speaking, but you also detect there's an underlying meaning. There's a nuance there. She's saying something to you, but she doesn't want to get at it directly. And she's one of those people who doesn't say exactly what she means. She's using something else to get a message across. And it's up to you to figure out what it is. So the question is, is she playing with you? Or is she, is she really, are her thoughts really that fractured? And this is something that uh, the reader will need to figure out in the, in the novel. I'm now wondering, I'm thinking of your characters. I'm now wondering. There are, um, there are people that you meet in life who, when you speak with them, you, you have to work really hard to understand what it is that they're really getting at. Yeah. And there are people who you will ask a question of, and then they will answer it with another question. And it's like, can you just just get to the point? Tell me what you're saying. And there are people who really can't. They struggle with that. And there are people who choose not to. Yeah. Okay. And so this is sort of what I'm addressing through that character. Oh, it's awesome. It's awesome. Yeah. Okay. I'm just still looking up the words and I, I really do love it because I always like reading something that also gives me a visual too, you know? So, mm-hmm. okay. So with the Casey Holland series, what came first? Okay. Like I said, I'm, I'm now doing the planning stages of book three. So I'm wondering, was it a situation, um, characters? Uh, did you get this idea for this oh this would make a cool plot so so with book with the book I'm reading now okay book four what came first definitely I think the um the plot I wanted to to write about youth at risk for a long time and I think it's because um well as a criminology graduate I have always had a lifelong Um, fascination with crime and criminal behavior and as I mentioned before part of it involved white collar crime Um, but there was also this element and I think from those experiences working at um, Willingdon um, youth youth there was so many stories there so many heartbreaking situations Uh, there's always been a lot in the media about youth at risk. And we hear this term a lot. And I thought one day, well, what does that really mean? And it means a lot of different things. It's can be runaways. 
it can be delinquency, it can be mental health issues, it can be kids trapped in a really horrible dysfunctional family situation. And it it's really a broad spectrum. And so I wanted to explore that in, the, in this book, drawing on my experiences. And by doing that, I also wanted to incorporate the subplot of Casey's personal life, because at this point in the series with book four, she's been the guardian of a, of a girl for a year and a half. And this is her first parenting experience. And on so many, so many levels, she's, especially in this book, beginning to feel that she's failing as a parent. And Summer, which is the, the girl's name, is now 13 years old, and she has a boyfriend. Yeah. <laughs> and she isn't real thrilled about this, yeah. particularly since this boy is very secretive yeah. and very cocky. And it becomes a matter of what do I do? How do I handle this? And it goes from bad to worse in their relationship. And she's scared that she's just going to lose this girl. Yeah. You know, trust. She's going to lose the bond that they have been working really hard to build for the last 18 months. So it that youth at risk theme now affects her on a personal level. And through her volunteer work at this detention center, which is a main part of the, of the book where she's now volunteering and through her work on the bus because she's dealing with some um, delinquents on the bus and tracking them down. And um, so it's hitting her on all three levels and she's seeing youth at risk in three different ways. Mm-hmm. and uh and it's it's just a it's a really it's a really big thing um for and at that time I mean it was published a few years ago but you know I'm also was parenting two kids mm-hmm. and so you the issues it's you know with teens and young teens and the the defiance and knowing when to to let them make their own mistakes but also knowing when to step in when things become too too dangerous, too risky, and and getting them to listen to you and to really hear you. Yeah. Um, so it's just an issue that I wanted to explore, and uh, um, that the deep end was my way of doing that. So. Well, I I've been there. I mean, I remember it was working at Crown Council, and have we have two teenage? Well, we at that time both our girls were teenage girls and thank goodness they, they, everything's worked out with them. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's, and it's interesting because you can be a parent and raise your children the same way, but your children are not the same and they will react differently Mm -hmm. to your Mm -hmm. parenting. Mm -hmm. And um, it's, it's, it's scary. (laughs) It's scary. I just, (laughs) I wrote, oh yeah, a number of sleepless nights. Yeah. Yes, and it's, yeah. it's 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 funny. I guess when you uh, when you're raising teenagers, um, everybody's at risk. <laughs> their, their mental well being, their ability to sleep well at night. Yeah, 
But I'm here to tell you, get through it and you hang in there and you listen. And it does, at least for me, I'm very grateful that everything works out in the end. So, Well, I remember it was when I was still a personal trainer and I had a personal training client and she was a counselor. I can't remember what type of counselor, but, you know, as she's... I'm telling her she needs to run, you know, 10 minutes on the treadmill or jog or, or, you know, okay, run five, walk two or whatever. I remember at one point she was asking me, she says, she's asking me questions, you know, about uh, being a parent and, and, and having two girls. And I had said how, you know, the, the, our youngest one, you know, heart of gold. Um, but at times, you know, we've, we've mm-hmm. had our differences mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, she had said to me, she goes, Joanna, if all's been well since with your daughters up to the age, like they've been, she said, good people. Up, she had said up to age 13, she goes, they'll be fine. She goes, they may mm-hmm. go through mm-hmm. rough patches. And she goes, but mm-hmm. they will come out at the end, at, you know, and mm-hmm. I just she was right. She mm-hmm. was right. You know? So yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I think I, I, I agree with her. I think that's true. I mean, somebody once said, and I don't know who it was, a, some a child expert is that, you know, the base, your basic personality that you had had by the time that you're five years old, doesn't really change. You know, you are who you are. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and, um, I don't know. There's probably some debate about that, but yeah, I yeah. do agree. If by the time that they reach 13, if they are good people, they will find their way. And um, but you, you, I, what I've learned learned over the years is that the older they get, you don't walk away from parenting, even from a 17 and 18 year old, because then they're dealing with some real adult stuff, and that yeah. can be pretty scary for them, yeah. even though yeah. they think they can handle it. You just keep listening and you keep staying engaged. Yeah, you know, yeah. having yeah. conversation. That's right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you mentioned about the detention center in book in the book four and the leaks and the dankness. And mm-hmm. I remember hearing government cuts um, during during those times. I remember government cuts. And um, I don't know if this is a fair question to ask. You don't have to answer it if you want to pass on it. I totally understand. Did you find the youth detention center or hear of the youth detention centers. I don't want to put you on the spot, but I'm putting you on the spot, Deborah. So were they really kind of dank and awful? And I'm just wondering whether if we're going to have government cuts, I think a youth detention center is the last place you should have a government cut. Uh, I would agree with that. I mean, they need they need a lot of um, the kids need a lot of attention. Yeah. Um, you know, they they do, and they would have. I think now I'm going back a long time when I was doing this. This is in the late '70s, so I think it was before the major cuts. While yeah. I was researching for this book, I met um, a former corrections officer who had been doing it much later. He too had worked at Willingdon. But I think 20 years after I had been volunteering there and the cuts during the 80s, I think, is is when it really, really started. But it was just such a bare, um, a bare bones building. There wasn't a lot at that time on it. They'd have the, you know, the, 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 the yellow brick 
um, blocks for the walls and the plain linoleum. And they did have a, a viewing and meeting family area there. Um, and, uh, but how, when you're not used to it, how can you not feel oppression when you walk down that corridor and you are let into a locked area and you walk through it and you see every bars on the windows in every single girl's room and you see locks on the doors and tiny little windows in the doors and that that is the oppression that I felt I mean you know yeah they were clean and they were tidy they weren't overcrowded at that time um there weren't from my recollection which is it was a long time ago um, most of the beds weren't filled, okay. um, you know, at that time. They had a swimming pool. So as part of the kids' PE classes, and they did have school schooling in there, they they had swimming, you know, okay. once or twice a week until apparently somebody tried to drown somebody, and then they stopped oh. that. So they drained oh. the pool, and that ended that. And that was part of also cutbacks, I think, too. So, but okay. anyways... Um, Yeah, so the oppressiveness that I write about is sort of, I guess, yeah, it it, it was there. um, But in my book, it's a little, the building's older, it's a little bit more run down. And then, yeah, and things, you get this, this, you pick up on the fact that things, something's not quite right, which is, you know, for the story. I didn't have that when I was there. When I was there, everything was functioning fine you know staff were professional people got along there was more than one volunteer at that time and we knew each other and we would be going to different units and and um, things like that but uh, so in reality it wasn't that oppressive but I made it so for this book yeah that atmosphere but I do remember smells of overcooked Brussels sprouts and make me gag as soon as they let me and I'm going oh geez because <laughs> I would always be there for 7 seven thirty. so after dinner right yeah. that's that's in the book yeah and I was yeah. reading that and I thought okay I picture this yeah, that, 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 that was real so. <laughs> <Right>. yeah, yeah. <laughs> um and really from the beginning I'm just thinking of the scene where Casey is in the room with the girls and the girls are looking at her and I'm just Mm -hmm. like, Oh gosh, like, Mm -hmm. is, is Casey going to be okay? You know? Mm -hmm. And, and the girls are looking at her and and they're starting to ask her questions and you Mm -hmm. definite, you have a definite feeling and and you're Mm -hmm. just like, okay, is Casey going to be okay? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. So was there anything more difficult let's say in writing book four or book five um, over, let's say book one or book two. Um, I think, uh, no, it was, I plotted it out. I'm a bit of a plotter, although not a complete, complete outliner. I did have the plot. So whenever I start a novel, I always know who the killer is and why and who the victim is and why Um, once in a while it changes um, but I think the most difficult part for this, because um, at that at that time, I was with a publisher, a small um, BC publisher, and they wanted a book a year for the first three books. And luckily, I had of co- completely, of course, finished *The Opposite of Dark* 
which is why I was submitting it. I was very well into my drafts for Deadly Accusations, which was number two. And I was a couple of drafts in for um, Beneath the Bleak New Moon, which is book number three. When they asked for a fourth book, I started to panic because I wasn't anywhere near ready and um, to do another book, but I, I did. And I really scrambled and I, I, it was difficult to write fast for me. I realized a while during that book that I am not going to be a fast writer. I am not going to be the kind of writer who can put out, you know, a couple of books a year or even one book a year. And even less so now as I pay more attention to language and I yeah, zero yeah. in on relentless editing. Um, so the time constraint was really um, a challenge for me. And when the publisher decided to cut their mystery list and let several of us go, I was relieved. Okay. okay. I was really relieved um, because I just didn't think I could keep doing a book a year. And I, I wanted to work at my own pace mm-hmm. on my own time and release the books out when I was ready. Yeah. And yes, I've slowed down, but I think I'm writing better books. Each book feels better than the one before because I've given it the time and the attention. I've got to be able to explore these themes even further. So, yeah. That's probably why I may have, um, I apologize to some people. I thought Dealer's Child, I'd be releasing it in August. And no. No, it's just, no. it's, it was not yeah. ready. And, it's and like, yeah, you know, and I and, re- yeah, I refuse to make announcements ahead of time until yeah. it's been uh, fully edited. And I've worked with my jacket designer and I have a, a date in mind um, because for that reason, yeah. things happen. And um, yeah. And, you know, I, I think it's important to, to finish a book to the point where you're at least you're satisfied. I don't know anybody who can write perfectly. and release a perfect book but if you can get to the point where you feel that you've done the best that you could with the time and energy and skill you had then you've done something you know that needs to be crocheted somewhere what you just said (laughs) okay (laughs) that theme that theme was this week's blog by the way okay is is, uh because i've i've seen this so many times um um, listening to other writers reading their blogs discussions and the, the topic of the blog that i wrote was what are the three dominant challenges that writers face and it is time and energy and skill yeah you know and Beneath that, those categories are a whole list of other things that challenges and obstacles that writers have to deal with. And I think that, the, you know, it's important. And I said at the end of that blog, you know, it's my mantra and it has been ever since the beginning is that I did the best I could with the time, energy and skill that I had. That's good. That's good. See, yeah. And I, I, do not want to sacrifice quality for mm-hmm. for anything, right? I don't want to sacrifice quality, yeah. right? And we will we are going to get all your social media and your blog and the show notes at the end. I, I I subscribe to your blog, so yeah, I may not have read that one yet. Um, I'm just at the tail end of a move, so <laughs> but I, I keep I know. them. You know, yeah. I keep them. So sometimes yeah. I. 
you know, yeah. people are probably wondering why I'm answering them at like two weeks later. But yeah, yeah. which is not a problem. I do the same. A lot of blogs, I just uh, I I get them once a week, so I yeah. catch up, you know, yeah. on them. And now that I'm babysitting my granddaughter three days a week, I'm probably going to cut down to just a blog, maybe every two weeks or something. But we'll see how that goes. Yeah. But uh, yeah, good. So, what are the? Do you have? Well, I won't say. Do you have? Are there long-term plans for Casey, and and do you want to share any of them? Are there going to be a few more? Few more. That's a that's a good question, and it's something I've been pondering over. So, first, the the the, the really short answer is yes. I have been working on a Casey novella. Oh. And it is going to be um, a much lighter one. I want readers to see the lighter side of Casey's work because with Knock Knock, which is a book about um, home invasions targeting seniors, and with The Blade Man, which is a story about um, assaults on bus drivers, which has become a huge problem, um, not only in the lower mainland, but as in my research all over the place, you know, People are taking their issues and their anger and their mental health problems and they're being foisted on on drivers. And it got pretty dark. So I thought I need to do something light. So I have written and it's it's getting there. Um, I've worked on several drafts. I still want to do a little bit more work. Isn't it funny that the 25,000 word novella is giving me much more grief than <laughs> than the and the 70,000 word uh, <laughs> full-length novel but it's called um, man in a gold satin thong oh, so wow. it'll give you a clue that this is probably not as dark as you know knock knock or yeah. the blade man <laughs> yeah yeah oh wow anyway, it's a fun one and if if it's well received then I would like to do um, some more shorter novellas lighter yeah. Um, and, and, and let people see the humorous side because it's not all doom and gloom in this yeah. security area, as I mentioned before. So so that's what I'm working on. Beyond that, we'll see. We'll see what happens. Well, you mm-hmm. just you just gave me uh, like a light bulb moment here. You're talking about Casey, your character and uh, like you say, doom and gloom and this seriousness of, of what mm-hmm. she's dealing with. But our characters do need to do something to counter that. I mean, we all do something. I don't want to say light, but we all do something for ourselves for pleasure. So I'm thinking about my character, Jade. And it's and it's like, I know I've, I in, in book two, Sage starts to bake. So, <laughs> but like, yeah, yeah. Jade needs yeah. to do something yeah. light, lighter, yeah. you know, to, yeah. Well, you're, re- you're reading book one and she's got a drug problem. She's got to do something lighter. Yeah. Right? <laughs> you know, <laughs> right. Yeah. That's why I was, yeah. and that's why I was looking forward to this conversation because I thought, I just want to hear her talk and hear her experience. It's, and, it's, you, you and, know. and it's, and it's funny with the, with the darker books, uh, the more serious ones, um, she's gotten away from the fun stuff. Like in book yeah. one, she, she and, and her friend who becomes her love interest, who becomes her husband over time, go bowling. The, okay. the, the drivers have a bowling league. Yeah. Uh, yeah. She has an exercise bike, yeah. uh, but those things kind of dwindle. Um, in book three, she, and or uh, yeah, book two, she ends up inheriting a guinea pig. Oh. And, <laughs> named Ralphie. 
And um, so those kinds of things, but it gets darker. And what I want to do, I think with the lighter is get back to the fun stuff, get back to the, to these moments. And there are a lot of fun things that she can do through her work. A lot of funny situations that she can do. So, yeah, so I would kind of like to explore that. Okay. Okay. I'm just making notes here. Just yeah. what you're saying about lighter stuff. Yeah. Because as we are at the tail end of this move, one incident happened with the husband and I, I'm not calling him the spouse. Um, <laughs> we had a car. It was this lovely sports car, which did not work anymore. Mm-hmm. And we had to get it in the garage. And it would start because the either the garage door, I'm kind of going off on a tangent here, but the garage door, you couldn't close it because the car was like halfway in. Mm. So we are trying to push this car into the garage. <laughs> and I remember after that instant, we did get it in. I sat down and I just wrote what happened mm-hmm. and I've mm-hmm. saved that. And it, it didn't make it into book two, but maybe maybe some lighter stuff. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And to, and to mm-hmm. book three. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. I, I yeah. do like to incorporate lighter moments in my mysteries and there, there are, you know, a few, but um, as I said, in the last two, I, they're, they're probably there, but not as prevalent as they were in the earlier books. You know, there are lighter moments. There's a moment, actually a knock-knock. Uh, Casey um, is trying on wedding gowns. She's got a wedding coming up. And she gets a call when she's in the dressing room trying on this wedding dress. And uh, it's a police officer, and they're discussing a case and uh, what's happened to um, another victim. And when she steps out of the dressing room, the sales clerk and all of her friends and are staring at her with their mouths <laughs> hanging open. And uh, she says, I gotta go, sorry, work. And um, the same thing happens at the uh, near the end of the book where she's trying on the dress again. She finally has another moment yeah. And something else happens and she's got to go. And the sales clerk says, what do you do for a living? And she says, well, I'm a security officer. And the clerk says, I never knew it would be that exciting. And she <laughs> says, neither did I. And uh, so there's those kinds of moments yeah. that, um, that happen. So yes, there are some lighter moments. So, okay. Do you find with your own writing, because this is what I found with book two, that the the darker I got, I did manage to bring in some lighter moments, almost like like a teeter totter to to balance it. You know, I you mentioned guinea pig, book two. I have Walter the grumpy rabbit, which is based off of my friend's rabbit. She has this little rabbit who can be actually mm-hmm. quite grumpy. Mm-hmm. Okay, so, <laughs> but did you find that like the deeper you went, it's almost like you're like the teeter totter trying to balance it. Yeah, you do try and balance it um, and it, it, it's a little bit tricky because you don't want to end up being too light. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. It's, it's, a real, it's a real balance thing. Um, it's funny with the, um, with the book that I'm working on now with uh, Man and Gold, Satin, Bong, it is light. <laughs> it, is, it is funny, but there's also a, a poignancy to it. There's, you begin to feel sorry for this, for this guy. Yeah, um, yeah. because he's kind of in a tough spot for real. And he, you know, 
And so it, it, now I'm balancing out all this lightness, but I'm bringing in a serious element, a serious moment in it. So it's not all silly, you know, frou-frou, that there is a point to his behavior, yeah. the way that he's, you know, um, his lifestyle choices, you know, there is a point to all of this. And that's come out. And that's what I've had to incorporate in these later drafts. It's not all silly, you know, uh, stuff. There, there is a serious reason why he's doing the things that he's doing and making the choices that he has. So, yeah. It sounds intriguing. It sounds very <laughs> intriguing. Okay. So with the Alex Bellamy, is that how? Bellamy. Bellamy. Bellamy mm-hmm. series. Mm-hmm. Now on your website, it mentioned that now taxed to death is no longer in print but fatal encryption is mm-hmm. and it's set in port moody and mm-hmm. it said on your website that that book has a special place in your heart and of course mm-hmm. i have to ask why mm-hmm. why would it have a special place because one reason is that it's probably the only novel that is actually has scenes of port moody which is where i live So for those who don't know, Port Moody um, is about 30 kilometers east of Vancouver, and we are at the very tail end of Burrard Inlet. And it's the city isn't huge. I think we're at about 35,000 people now. It's not a large city, but it's mountainous and hilly and lots of park space and hiking trails and water. And it's got its own unique history because I think the last spike was reportedly in the Canadian Railroad was was, um, here. But uh, anyway, um, it's just uh, it's home and not many people write about it. And when I was writing uh, Fatal Encryption, it was, you know, the sequel, although it it is a standalone, but it was kind of still a continuation of Alex Bellamy's story. I was also working, I've gone back to the workforce and I was volunteering and it took a long, long time to finish that book. I think it was 13 years between publishing Toxideth and publishing Fatal Encryption. Okay. But I love the, the story and I use scenes with Port Moody and I have this climatic scene between Alex and the villain at the end of the book. And it takes place at a, a well-known park in Port Moody called Rocky Point Park. Okay. And there is a boat launch ramp there. And the scene takes place in November, late at night during a rainstorm. So it was very desolate. And it was a dark, almost ominous feel to it on a dark, stormy night. And shortly after the book was in production, they started building a boathouse restaurant in that parking lot. And it changed. And then about five and a half years ago, the SkyTrain line came to Port Moody. And I'm a seven minute walk from one of the stations. And I'm now five and a half years later, I'm, I am within two minutes of three different construction zones that are building condo complexes around the SkyTrain area. And we are becoming a high density city. Yeah. And the Port Moody that I wrote about and published back in 2008 in part is gone. Yeah. And my heart is still there because I remember 
when it was quieter. Yeah. When you could go to the park and actually find a parking spot yeah. because there was room. Yeah. No yeah. more. Yeah. That's gone. And the city is changing. And I'm glad that I captured a little bit of Port Moody, a little small portion of it as it was yeah. before development happened because it's going like gangbusters here. And in another five to 10 years, I won't even recognize, you know, Port Moody. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, yes, Rocky Point mercifully will always be there, but, you know, let's not put too many more restaurants on it and uh, in it. Yeah. Um, you know, and it just, yeah, it's just yeah. changed. And so um, for the length of time, for the memories of what Port Moody was when we first moved out here in 1987 and to what it is today, yeah, there's, yeah, it's nostalgic. Okay. I understand. I understand. Okay. So I get to ask you my favorite question. Okay. And I tweaked it a bit to, to fit Casey. Okay. So <laughs> my favorite question. You're sitting on the bus window seat. Okay. Mm -hmm. Casey. Always. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and Casey Holland sits down beside you. What would she say to you? Okay. So, um, it's kind of a two-part answer to this because as her creator, if she sees, if she's talking to me as the person who created her, she would say to me, well, thanks for all of the adventures. Can I move up the career ladder now? <laughs> as a guard, yeah. you know, just coming across and I'm a regular person, she would probably say to me, ma'am, you forgot to put your mask on. So... <gasps> Because yeah. here we are in a new world again. Yeah. Um, and the books are published pre-COVID where we yeah. didn't wear masks on the uh, bus. Yeah. And where some of us with the best of intentions at the last minute forget, I don't have my mask on. I'm yeah. Yank it out of our purse and slap it on our faces as we're stepping into the store yeah. or the yeah. bus <laughs> yeah. or yeah. the SkyTrain station. New world. Yeah. Um, yeah. Which, you know, also begs the question moving forward, um, you know, am I going to be incorporating that, you know, in if I write more novels, will all of my passengers be wearing masks? Will the whole mask thing, can you imagine the potential for conflict and um, trouble and crime yeah. with, you know, what, what's been happening today? I mean, yeah. it's, again, fodder for stories. Not sure whether, um, you know, I will continue with that. We'll see. Um, I've, I didn't mention, which I will mention it now. I am working on a brand new series. It's a paranormal mystery. Ooh, nice. And uh, so this is bringing in all kinds of other elements. And um, we'll see how it goes. So I'm very excited because it's it's different than the Casey, the Casey Holland, different voices, different situation, although still set. And I am going to set some of that book in Port Moody again. So, yeah. Yeah. I like having, you know, some paranormal moments just yeah. to kind of, okay, to yeah. spice things up. Okay. Well, I, 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 I love the, uh, the fantasy genre and I've been reading a great deal of it. And um, I've, 
can't remember if I told you during other discussions or conversations that I have been working on an urban fantasy for some time, oh, which wow. has actually taken up the majority of, of my editing time, which is why I'm not more um, productive with the Casey series. And it's just been fascinating. I just love it. I have huge respect for the genre. Yeah. And while this doesn't really have a, a mystery component, um, there's a lot of other stuff going in there and that encompasses four generation of um, of people and so I now I, I'd like to get back to mystery so I thought what better way to combine the fantasy components and the crime components and put them into a paranormal mystery yeah and so that's what I would like to get to I'm just in the early outlining stage but mm, I think the idea is working and gelling so far so we'll see where it goes so, good yeah good yeah. well just a little note you had mentioned about masks mm. um, what I found I started writing dealer's child in 2019 mm. we all know what happened in 2020 in 2020 I was I had references to COVID okay mm. in mm. dealer's child as I've come through with final edits and um, working with Pip and final edits, it, myself, I have found I am now taking out references to COVID. It's mm. it's interesting. I'm just I I think it's more for me. I write because it's an escape, and I want it to be an escape for the reader. Yes. So yes. yes. Any any time I saw COVID. Boom. I, I'm now yeah. I, I took it out. Yeah. So what I have done is I near the end because of a situation, I do make reference to the pandemic and that's all I say, you know, and it's mm -hmm. in context with mm -hmm. um, a character being missing. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. So uh, it's, I think that's, that is the a topic that every, every writer is just, mm -hmm in their own way dealing with hey yes yes um and it, and it's going to you're going to get a variety of responses as to what to what people prefer in their reading but for now the majority of readers that i listen to and hear and read about on blogs prefer not to read about covid yeah at all which yeah. is understandable i totally um get it and um, my mysteries are for escapism to yeah. where you can just pick up the book and get into it for two, three hours and not think about other world, you know, your real life problems. Um, the series, um, I, the timeline I'm set for my Casey Holland series, I think the, the, the Blade Man, although it was, you know, published in 2020, actually probably takes place more in um, uh, 2014 because I have a timeline of how much pet time passes between each book and mm -hmm. with the novella that I'm working on now it's only going to be a year or two so that book will have taken place actually in 2015-16 yeah. but what I will need to do is make reference to that fact in author's mm -hmm. notes that this book takes place a year after the blade man um, and this is uh, the time period is you know, 2015 or whatever it is I've got, got so that the reader will know. Um, but, you know, for, um, for the other books, probably, again, um, they, they are, 
they need a lot of work. They are not likely to be published even in 2022 or 2023. So after that, so it may be a post-COVID world. We'll see. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll deal with that when it comes as to how much about the pandemic I'm going to, to put in there and exactly which time period they're going to be set in. So, yeah. yeah. Well, I remember when I was writing it, there was one, there's one scene where Jade meets this fellow, Adam, and they hug. And I just thought, oh, that is so nice. Like it was, it was mm-hmm. right in, like it was, this was about, this is in rewrites about six months ago. And I just, I thought, oh, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. nice. <laughs> right? So mm-hmm. anyways, yeah. Yeah. You know. Deborah, this has been great. This, uh, I said, I have been looking forward to this talk. Oh, I, thank you, Joanna. Yeah. Me too. It's you yeah. know, and yeah. I hope I get you back on here again because this, like I said, I just want. I miss this talking with authors mm-hmm. and just mm-hmm. hearing, hearing and learning. Like I said, mm-hmm. I've, I've made notes here, right? Mm-hmm. And um, anything you want to add? And I definitely want to get all your social media information, but anything you want to add? Um, just what a great pleasure it is in speaking with you oh. and sharing our experiences. You know, it's all about learning. I'm still learning. I've been doing, you know, writing uh, for 40 years now. Yeah. I still love it. That's why I do it. Um, but I'm still learning. So hopefully when if I can come back again, we'll talk about what I've learned since then. Since oh, you betcha. You betcha. <laughs> and I'll be writing notes because yeah. I, I like to think that I hope I don't ever stop learning when it comes to writing. I yeah, I I wouldn't advise that anybody stop learning and thinking yeah. it's every every book has is a brand new experience with brand new challenges, and you know you're bringing again your life experiences what you've learned to the table, yeah. and there's always something new to learn. So. Yeah. Great. yeah, great, great, yeah. And your social media, I know I want uh, to get social media. Okay, yeah. um, the. Probably the go-to place, if you just need one, is um, DebraPurdyKong.com. That is my website. And on there is a link to my blog. There's also a link to my newsletter, which I put out once a month. And in the if you subscribe to the newsletter, you do get a free copy of The Opposite of Dark, which is the first in the series. And I believe there are also links to um, Facebook and Twitter. So Twitter is just Deborah Purdy Kong. Um, Facebook, Deborah Purdy Kong author. That will get my author's page. I don't post that often on my personal page. So, oh, so you can find me there. So in my email and so forth. So excellent. Okay. Okay. Right. Well, have a good well, have a good afternoon or a good oh, lunch. Well, last weekend of August, and it is a beauty here in the yeah. Lower Mainland. So I'm going to try and take advantage of that. So. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Thank you, okay. Joanna. It's been a pleasure. It really has. It's a pleasure for me, too. Okay. Bye. Bye.